Good morning, everyone. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked? Truly, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Jesus answered them, Watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming, I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still not to come. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginnings of earth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Thank you, Father. Amen. Thank you, Jesse. You guys can have a seat. So, at the beginning of this year, we put out a survey, a felt needs survey to find out from everybody what, what are some felt needs, what are some needs that you're feeling, the need for a greater understanding of how to manage your finances or uh, take care of your health, anxiety, managing conflict in your family, those kinds of things. And those things shape and are shaping uh, some of our priorities or focuses for this next year. Um, but then there's needs that are not felt. There's needs that we all have that are not felt. For example, vitamin deficiencies are usually not felt. We don't usually wake up and go, mm, I didn't have enough vitamin K yesterday. Right? We, we have symptoms of things that bring us to a doctor's office, maybe uh, fatigue that we can't shake, and they run some tests and maybe check our blood, and we find out, oh, I've got some vitamin deficiencies, I've got some mineral deficiencies, and, and we find out that's what's causing these felt needs. Um, broccoli is one that kids usually don't have a need for, that they feel. They don't usually go to bed, my kids at least don't usually go to bed going, I wish I had more broccoli today. Uh, my body needed more broccoli. They don't feel a need for vegetables, even though vegetables are a need. Follow me here? There are things that we have a felt need for, and then there are needs that we don't often feel a need for. And this passage tackles what is often not a felt need. And it's hard to preach messages about needs that are not felt needs. But if we have ears to hear and hearts to receive, then I believe... I really, really believe it will affect a felt need that we do all have, and that is the need for joy. 
We all have a need, a felt need for more joy. And Jesus, because of his great love for us, wants us to have more joy. His scriptures are about lining our hearts up with his story, his heart, so that we can walk in greater and greater and greater joy. Another felt need that some of us feel, but not all of us, some of us, those of us who who follow Jesus, um, and and usually not younger people, uh, usually older folks uh, will, will tend to feel this need, and that is the need for Jesus to return. Right? That is the need for Jesus to come back and fix this mess, this brokenness, the suffering, the, the, the bodies that we're stuck in, the sicknesses, the disease, the wars, the famines, the injustices, the oppression, the, the hurts, the conflicts. We want Jesus to come back and, and fix it all. And that's what was going on here in this passage with Jesus and the disciples. This is a few days before he is going to die. He knows it. He's been teaching at the temple courts. Last week we looked at his last confrontation with the religious leaders. His last challenge to the religious leaders. And now he's with his disciples. He's leaving the temple. And it says that as they were leaving, the disciples came up to him to call his attention to the buildings. They were marveling at the temple. They were marveling at the splendor of this temple. This was the second temple. This was built by, this was finished uh, by Herod, Herod the Great. And they were marveling at this. Historians say that this temple, when, when you saw it from a distance, it was so, uh, so white, so sparkly white that it looked like snow. It just was so beautiful. And then the stones were massive. I mean, they were massive. They could weigh up to 500 tons, some of these stones. That would be a million pounds for a stone. These slabs, some of them 200 tons. These were massive. It would take multiple cranes to move these stones. Now, we don't even know. People speculate, how did they even do this? How did they put these massive stones upon each other? So the disciples are marveling at it. And Jesus said this. Do you see all these things? Truly, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. This building, as marvelous as it is, is going to crumble, he says. It's all going to crumble. It's beautiful, yes, but it's coming down. And it would come down in 70 AD. There would be a a revolt against the Roman Empire. The Romans would ransack Jerusalem and destroy the temple. Just like anything in our day that we tend to marvel at, that is built by human hands, that we go, wow, that's so amazing. It is perishable. It will come crumbling down eventually. And so the disciples, they're kind of uh, astounded by hearing Jesus say this. They're like, wait, what? This temple? And so they respond in verse 3. Later on, they're on the Mount Mount of Olives, and I'm I'm imagining they're like, hey, you go ask him. Can you go ask him? Somebody go ask him. What did he mean by this? So they go up, and they say, tell us, when will this happen? So when will the temple come crumbling down? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So it's three questions, really. When's the temple coming down? What's going to be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Now, they probably thought all this was going to happen at once. Because remember, their expectation was for the Messiah to come and conquer the Romans. They were expecting this political ruler to come and restore to them the days of King David to make Israel great again, right? That's what they were expecting. And so when Jesus came into Jerusalem riding on the donkey, they thought, this is it. Well, it didn't go down the first couple days of the week. 
But now Jesus is talking about this temple coming down. So they're like, okay, well, when is this actually going to happen? When are you going to fix this? When are you going to restore? When are you going to get rid of these oppressors? When are you going to do this? And Jesus said, guys, just wait. Just hold on until the 2024 election. And then everything is going to get... No, he didn't say that. He didn't say that. He didn't say that. They think it's going to all coincide together. The word for coming, by the way, is parousia. And the way they saw that word at this time uh, in this political climate was that, uh, for example, the New Testament scholar N.T. Wright describes it this way. If Caesar was uh, ruling from Rome, he was in charge of the Roman Empire, but he was ruling from Rome, and you were in some other city, you were looking forward to the day when Caesar would come and make an appearing in your city, when he would come and make his appearing. So the disciples weren't thinking at this point they didn't understand that Jesus had to die, rise again, ascend to heaven, and come back. That's not how they were thinking it. They were just meaning, when are you going to make your coming and bring the full weight and the full glory of your kingdom and take over the Romans? That's what they were thinking. When is this going to happen? And Jesus goes on to say, Jesse just read it, but Jesus, we're not going to cover it all right now, but Jesus goes on to say, there's going to be false messiahs who come, and, and, and don't follow them. They're going to deceive many. They're going to lead you astray spiritually, but they're also going to lead you into some physical danger. In fact, that's what would happen in 70 AD. When the Romans ransacked Jerusalem and tear down the temple, they did it in response to a revolt led by a guy who claimed to be the Messiah. Like, don't follow them, Jesus says. People are going to come and they're going to say, I got the answers. I'm going to fix this. He said, don't, don't let your hearts get captured by them. And he says there's going to be suffering and there's going to be persecution and nation and we're going to rise against nation and kingdom against there's going to be wars and there's going to be famines and the love of many will grow cold, he says. People who claim to follow me, they're going to grow cold in their hearts towards me, cold in their hearts towards each other. But he says the one who endures to the end will be saved. And then he says this, and this is really where I want to zero in today. In verse 14, he says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So there's seven things that I want to point out, seven implications of this passage as it sits in this larger passage that I think will, if we grasp it, We've got ears to hear and hearts to receive. If we grasp it, that we will uh, walk with greater purpose, experience greater joy, get tied up in less trivial things. If our church could grasp it, we'll be more effective in the next 10 years of our life together. So seven things. This is not a series on end times, by the way, um, but this week and next week we are going to touch on that just because it's a series on Matthew and Jesus next week. Uh, it, the rest of chapter 24 and 25, we're going to touch on that. Um, but let's just pray before I, before I dive into these seven things. Jesus, your word, your word is alive. But we need your spirit to illuminate our hearts to understand it. We need your spirit to illuminate our hearts so that we can say, oh, this is how my story fits in with your story. This is how everything I'm dealing with right now fits in with this larger story. 
So Jesus, do that. Your spirit, please do that for us. It's in your name I pray. Amen. So if you want to take notes, you can. If you want to take photos of the screen, you can do that. Number one, it's this news of Jesus' victory that must be spread. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world. This gospel of the kingdom. This gospel, this good news. Gospel means, you and, uh, the, the, means good news. It comes from a word, you and Gileon. It was used as a reference to victory on a battlefield. What's the, what's the news? Is it good news? Uh, right? we, we send the messenger back with the, the you and Gileon, the good news. Our team has won. Our general has won. We've won the victory. Our, our, so that's this good news, this good news of Jesus' victory. Which victory? His victory over sin and death. Not his victory over political enemies. That's not, that's not what happened yet. The, the, the good news that he died, that he rose again, that he's coming back to usher in his kingdom and crush all other political kingdoms. This good news is what must spread. People claim, oftentimes, well, Christianity is exclusive because you claim that Jesus is the only way. Here's the best way to frame this. How many people here rooted for the Giants in the Super Bowl? In the Super Bowl. No, right? Okay, one person did. I don't understand that. I wasn't expecting any hands to go up because the Giants were not in the Super Bowl. Right? They weren't. Yeah, this past year, nobody rooted for the Giants in the Super Bowl because they weren't in the Super Bowl. They didn't make it. They got knocked out early. As much as some of us may have wanted them to be in the Super Bowl, they didn't get in the Super Bowl because they didn't make it. And that's the case for every other religious figure in history. They may have made claims. We may have, people have said, oh, I want to follow them. I want what they say to be true. They died and they didn't come back. Jesus went into the ring with death, came out victorious, rose from the grave. And that's why we can say, well, that guy's the one who beat sin and death. He's the one who beat sin and death. He went to the Super Bowl with sin and death and beat it. And so I want to follow him. And that's the news that we must spread. That victory over sin and death achieved for us by Jesus. That we get to experience when we trust in him. That's what must spread. That's what we must focus on. Not a moral code or, a, or a, an ethic to live by. Those are good things. Those should flow out of following Jesus. But that's good advice. Live this way and you'll be blessed. That's good advice. This is good news. Something that's already happened in the past. That's what we must focus on spreading. That's what we want to be known for. Right? We don't want to be known for spreading any other kind of good news over and above this one. We don't want to be known for, um, you know, spreading uh, some kind of political ideology over and above this. Everything else is band-aids for this broken world. It's Jesus' victory that's the ultimate, the ultimate touchdown, so to speak. Right? What are we known for? What are you known for? What's, what good news are you known for spreading as what you think to be the, the solution? Is it this or is it something else? Is it, oh, vote for so-and-so or, uh, you know, uh, uh, live this way or do this diet? Anybody, anybody work for, ever, ever do a network marketing business? I am not talking about you with what I'm about to say. 
Okay, don't please don't get offended. I'm not talking about you. But oftentimes, this is an overgeneralization. People who have done network marketing businesses, they know how to take any conversation and turn it back to their product. Right? You got weeds growing in your front lawn. My Arbonne company provides a product for that. Right? I mean, it's anything. Well, Jesus is the ultimate solution to all the bad news. What do we want to be known for? Selling this, pushing this, or this victory that Jesus has defeated sin and death in our place. I just want us to consider, what are we known for? What's the news that we talk about the most? Who do we promote the most? Number two, God wants this good news made known to the whole world. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. To the whole world. God wants this going global. He wants this to go viral all over the world. He wants the whole world to hear it. And if we, if, if we are followers of Jesus and we say he's our king, then what the king cares about should inform what we care about. Right? What his priorities are should be what our priorities are. We can't think, well, that's for missionaries. No, that's for all of us. This is for all of us. Some of us are called to go as missionaries, but all of us are called to care, send, support, pray for God's goal to go, to be accomplished around the world. We belong to a denomination, the Christian Missionary Alliance, that does this like top level, like m with missions. N maybe not top level with everything, but top level with, when it comes to missions. In fact, this verse is one of the reasons why our denomination even started, just to get this gospel around the world. And if God cares about it, we should care about it. If we care about what God cares about, it's going to affect our perspective in such a way there will be more joy in our life. We have to believe that there's more joy when our hearts care about what God cares about. I know some of us go, ah, that's just like so, I got, I got urgent needs right now in my family. I got urgent needs right now in my life with my bills piling up. And God, I feel like he's saying, hey, if you line your life up with my story, those things will be put in their proper perspective and they won't give you as much anxiety as they do. I really, really believe that. I really, really believe that. When we talk about what is God's will for our life, well, there's some things that we don't know for sure. Like, you know, you, you, just, you, you, you make decisions and you move forward. Like getting a building, for example. There's nothing in Scripture that says True Life Church should have a building. Whoa. Nothing in Scripture that says that. Now we pray, we've talked about it for years, we've evaluated and we've thought, okay, we think this is God. We think. But we know for sure this is God's will. This is God's will. This good news getting around the world. We know that. So if we line our lives up with God's will, with what we know is his will, there will be more joy, I believe, as long as we're caring about it. As long as we're caring about it. And, I, and I'll admit, there's too many moments in my days and my weeks where I don't care about what God cares about. I care about it in my head, but my heart, I'm worried about this or that. The group that's fasting for Lent on Thursdays, this is going to be the focus this Thursday on, on this, on what we're talking about today. If you want to join in, you can, you can join in. Pushing food aside as a way to say, God, as much as I want food right now, as much as I want that cheeseburger right now, I want you. I want, I want your purposes. I want 
to want what you want. I don't always want it, Lord, so line my heart up with what you want. Number three. For the whole world to hear, someone must open their mouth. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached. Some versions say proclaimed. The Greek word is kairuso. It means to be a herald, to herald this good news, to spread something by word of mouth. It's what people do when they see a good movie, right? You, you open your mouth. You say, hey, you've got to see this. You don't, you don't say, well, I saw this good movie. I don't want to tell my friends because I don't really want to push it on them. No, you're just excited. Hey, you should go see this. That's what it's about. We're going to open our mouth and say, there's somebody who defeated sin and death in our place. His name is Jesus. We should demonstrate God's love for sure with our character, with our actions, with our integrity, with acts of justice. That adds credibility. That, that brings signs of what his kingdom is like. But at the end of the day, somebody must open their mouth or, or, or spread it through the written word. In Romans <clears throat> chapter 10, the apostle said this, apostle Paul, he said, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Someone must open their mouth to get it to the nations. It must be proclaimed. And that brings us to number four. We need frontier missionaries to go to unreached people groups. This gospel we preached in the whole world as a testimony to every nation. That's, that word for nations is ethnos. And it has to do with uh, individual people groups. It, it doesn't mean like nation state. It doesn't mean Canada or Kenya. It means uh, individual people groups. There's multiple people groups living in the United States, for example. This must get to every people group. One of the most unreached people groups is over there in Lakewood, right next to us. It must get to every single one. According to the Joshua Project, which is a resource, uh, one of the um, leading resources on, on studying the, the mission of Jesus getting to the world, an unreached people group is a group where less than 2% of the population know Jesus. When, when less than 2% know Jesus, it won't spread. It, it won't spread. You knock on doors and door and door and door, and nobody has even heard of Jesus. Like, who? Huh? That's, that, that's an unreached people group. How many are there in the world today? Counting individual people groups, that's across, uh, that's in each uh, country. So, for example, um, Egyptians living in Canada, for example, that's one people group. Egyptians living in um, uh, Morocco, that's another one. So, counting individual people groups like that, it's 7,375 or 3.19 billion people in the world don't have a chance of hearing about Jesus. If you count them across countries, then it's 4,607, and it's the same number of individuals, 3.19 billion people. Either way, that's a lot of people. Here's the bottom line. 42.6% of the world's people groups are unreached. That's almost half. That means they, they don't have a chance of hearing that somebody conquered sin and death in their place. They don't have a chance of hearing that. 
Now, unfortunately, most missionaries that are sent out and most money that is sent out does not go to those 42.6% unreached people groups. You don't have to read all this, but look at the big number at the bottom, 30 to 1. Out of 30 missionaries who are sent, only one goes to an unreached people group. For every 30, only one goes to an unreached people group. That means the rest go to places where the message of Jesus is already there. And there's nothing wrong with going to places where the message of Jesus is already there. You and I are here in America. It's here. But there's still individuals who haven't heard and we go to our neighborhoods. We go as missionaries to our jobs and our schools. And, and, we, and you know, some of us might move to a different town or state to help start a new church. And that's, that's, that's being a missionary in a sense. But there's a need for those frontier, those pioneering, those I'm going to cross a boundary and go where nobody else is or very few other people are. Now certainly, probably I, I would imagine that one of the reasons that so few go is because it's dangerous. And because there's extra restrictions on places where it's unreached. And that's why we got to pray and resource. Another reason is money. Out of all the money that Christians give to missions, only 1% of that missions money goes to unreached people groups. So if I, if my family gave, let's say, $100 to missions, that means only one of those dollars, only $1, 1% of that mission money goes to getting the gospel to those unreached people. There needs to be more money. This is why our church gives the most of our missions money to the Great Commission Fund that goes to places, that goes to fund missionaries and missions work in places where the gospel of Jesus has not yet penetrated. But one of the things we want to start doing on an annual basis at some point in the year is a missions conference where we can have people explain what a process would be like if you feel called to go. Some of you may feel called to go, to lay down your life here in America and go somewhere where nobody else or very few others are going to bring the message of Jesus. Could be young people, could be old people. We want to provide processes and what would this look like for you to step into this. Some of you, I hope, may be called to go. I know Pam and Pat Hess are praying about going to Albania in a few years. That's a place where it's considered unreached. Maybe there's others. Maybe some of you who are not even Christians and you're here and you're like, this message doesn't even apply to me. I don't even know if I believe this stuff. I get it. I get it. I get it. But maybe Jesus over the next few weeks or months is going to get a hold of your heart in such a way that you become a missionary that we support and send out with money to go to one of those places. Because that's what Jesus does. He gets a hold of our hearts and then he sends us off and says, this good news that has transformed your life, go bring it to the nations. Go bring it to the world. Number five, this good news getting to the world will require suffering. Jesus said it just before this verse. Let's look at verse 9 and 10 and 11. He says, Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. There's going to be suffering. 
for following Jesus. There's going to be suffering for, for, for enduring and staying faithful to him and saying, I'm, Jesus, I'm going to live for your priorities. I'm going to live and care about what you care about. As a result of that, there will be persecution. There will be people coming against us, slandering us, falsely accusing us, in some cases, throwing us in jail, and even killing us Christians. This is going to happen, Jesus said. Now, here's the thing. We haven't experienced much of this in America, um, but it, it doesn't say in here that America is the exception. We weren't promised that. So we should not be surprised or confused when persecution comes. If anything, we should be surprised and confused that it hasn't happened much here yet. But it says it's part of getting this gospel to the world. The end will come. The suffering will stop. This place will be restored. This is the beginning of, of birth pangs, it says. Labor pangs, where a new life is brought forth through those labor pains. Right, women, ladies, moms? Right? Those labor pains are worth it. And Jesus said, oh, this earth is groaning and my people are going to groan with it. But in the end, in the end, I'm bringing forth a new earth in glorious splendor. Stay faithful. Endure. 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 And be willing to make sacrifices. And it's not just those who are sent over there or sent overseas to, who, who make sacrifices. It's also us who support them. A few weeks ago, we showed a video from Sean and Susie McLean, who are um, younger than my wife and I. They have two small kids. They just moved to Germany a year ago. They were giving us an update. They had to say goodbye to Sean and Susie's parents. And I was just thinking about this. They're, I remember asking them, like, what do your parents think? Because like, they, they their parents in the States have to say goodbye, not only to their kids, but their grandkids. How hard would that be to say goodbye? They have to make the choice. Am I going to oppose what they're doing and say, this is too risky, this is, this is a little too radical, or am I going to bless it even though they're sacrificing seeing their grandbabies? And if my prayer gets answered and some of you get called to go overseas, that means others of us, maybe even grandparents, have to say goodbye. I'm going to see you once or twice a year instead of once or twice a week. Are we willing to make that sacrifice for eternity? Number six, this gospel getting to the whole world is a promise. It will happen. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached. This isn't, this isn't something that's, that's, that's a question mark. It's going, to, it's going to get to the world. Every people group will have a chance to respond to it. doesn't mean every individual will receive it, but every people group will have a chance to hear this testimony. Jesus will accomplish this. The question is, will we participate in this? Like a football game that's been determined, you will win. This, my team will win, but will I be in the locker room afterwards with grass stains and mud stains on my uniform, high-fiving everybody and cheering and saying, oh, that was awesome? Or am I going to be one of those people who sat the bench and didn't want to get my uniform dirty and stayed away from getting tackled and, and kind of gave this fake high-fives like, yeah, we did it, but I didn't really be a part of it. Right? We want to be able to say, oh, that was awesome. We want to be part of it. We want to be part of it. Our joy is dependent on us living according to God's story. 
Number seven, getting this gospel to the world is connected to his return. In the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And then the end will come. Who wants Jesus to return? We want him to return. And when we go through painful times, we're like, Jesus, come on. What are you waiting for? Now, other passages tell us that his return is imminent. It could happen at any moment. And so when you reconcile it with this, it's like, well, how can all of a sudden people, uh, one scholar said, you, you just never know. Maybe God sends a host of angels to every unreached people group uh, in a moment before Jesus returns. All we have to live by is what God reveals in his word. And at the end of Matthew, he's going to say to his disciples, you go now, make disciples of all nations. That's our part. We can say, Jesus, please come back tomorrow. But what's my part? How do I invest in your return? I am to care about. I am to pray for. I am to give towards. I am to send loved ones or maybe even go myself to get this to the nations, to the people who are living in darkness who don't know, who are rooting for teams that don't make it to the Super Bowl. We got to go. We got to care. Our job, if we want Jesus to return, the way we invest in his return is to care about getting all of Jesus to all the world. Everything he is, all the salvation he brings, getting it for all the world. And I believe, I believe, I believe that these next 10 years, we need to well, first of all, let me say this. These last 10 years, you guys have given generously financially towards this with our, with our great commission. We've sent so much money around the world towards, towards these ends. Um, but, but I want these next 10 years for this to be a greater focus for us. I, I believe that as, as your pastor, it don't matter how, how good I teach the Bible or how validating I may be or caring I may be, if I don't care about this, and if I can't effectively mobilize us to care about this and put resources towards this, then I shouldn't be your pastor. I shouldn't be anybody's pastor. I feel like God's saying, hey, put this, increase this a little bit for these next few years. So I'm going to call the band up. And we're going to receive communion together. And we're going to sing one, one last song together. Can you guys stand with me? Now, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus yet, and you have questions about Jesus, and you're like, yo, I still have things I don't understand, please, please, please do not feel any pressure to receive communion with us. We don't want anybody doing this with an insincere heart. We don't want anybody going through religious motions to appease family members. Please don't, don't, don't feel any pressure. But for those of you who are followers of Jesus, whether you're part of our church or not, I want you to take out these elements and take out the, the cracker first. This cracker represents Jesus' body that was given for us. In just a few days from this passage, Jesus' body is going to be taken and we're going to be looking at those scriptures in the coming weeks. He's going to be beaten. And his body is going to be offered up as a, a sacrificial lamb 
to pay for the sins of this world. His body is going to be subjected to death. Our ultimate enemy. So that, so that, so that a few days later, it can come out of the grave having conquered death. This good news is, is both a, a comfort for us sinners. Like, oh man, somebody took my place. I don't need to earn. I don't need to perform. He loves me. He loves me. He loves me just as I am. And he's going to transform me. And he's going to lead me into more and more joy. This is good news. This is a comfort for you and I. But that comfort is also a call. That comfort that we receive calls us to go share that comfort with others. Neighbors and friends and coworkers, family members, and ultimately to the whole world. The juice represents his blood that was spilled. Jesus said, there's a new covenant in my blood. When we trust in him, we are under a new covenant. We're under Jesus. I've described it before. It's like, a, it's like an umbrella. We, we take shelter under that umbrella. And it protects us from the rain of sin and death. His blood shed for us. So may you and I as individuals be comforted by this as we receive it. May we be reminded that Jesus loves us just as we are. We don't have to perform. We don't have to earn. No sin that we committed yesterday, no sin that we're going to commit tomorrow will take us out of his family, will will, will take us out of his kingdom. Once you belong to Jesus, you belong to Jesus forever. That's a comfort. But may it also give us a holy burden. I said, oh, I want to go share this with people who don't know. Let's receive this together. Let's receive the cracker. And let's receive the juice.